The reading is taken from John chapter 8, beginning at verse 48, and is on page 1663. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. At this, the Jews exclaimed, now we know that you're demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you've seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself slipping away from the temple grounds. This is the word of the Lord. If you've got that passage open in front of you, that would be helpful. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for the things that Jesus showed us uh, about bringing light to the world, about being authentic, about being real, about being truthful and how that can touch people's lives. We pray that you would inspire us today, that we might know a little bit more and be encouraged. Amen. So um, I want to talk about mission, actually, today, which seems a little bit strange given this passage, Um, but I think think it's helpful because it reveals some of the things that we come across when we want to talk to people, when we want to share uh, about life with Jesus Christ. And I do so at the beginning of a year in which I would like to like us, very much like us, to engage with Passion for Life's um, initiative this year, 2022, uh, which will hopefully work around a couple of events around Easter for which I want to prepare us with their resources over the next few months. Now, I'm not sure how things are playing out. It seems like Omicron is certainly not as dangerous. I'm going to be very careful, but it's not as dangerous as it ha- as COVID has been. So I'm anticipating that we would be able to use uh, the centre lounge after a morning service for about 40 minutes uh, to have a little bit of video and discussion about learning or, or equipping ourselves to train uh, ourselves to be able to share the gospel, tell people what life, the light of life in us means, uh, so that when we get together uh, and we, we start to work on an event by Easter, we are, um, we are switched on. 
we know what we're about, we know what they're about. And some of the things, some of the objections that people have tend to come up in this passage. But I wanted to go bigger than that because I think it's God's, God's vision, if you like, is about mission. There's, a, there's an adage, isn't there? Is, is church the movement of God towards people or is it a monument by people towards God? And we know what the answer is, isn't it? But we can sometimes lose sight of that first thing, that God is moving towards people. And I think it's fascinating, that really clinching, that really clinching verse, verse 58. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. I think that's absolutely fascinating. Abraham, in verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day he saw it and was glad. That's huge. That is huge, isn't it? If we just, for those who've not been with us over the sort of the autumn term, if you like, uh, we've been going through uh, John's gospel, and John chapter 7 and chapter 8 revolve around a sort of some discussions uh, throughout the Feast of the Tabernacles, where Jesus, a few weeks ago in our time, <laughs> Um, declared that he was the light of the world, some people started to believe him, and then people started to throw up objections because Jesus said, well, you have to obey my teaching if you want to follow me. It's not difficult, really. It's not a difficult concept, but, but that, that really irked with them. And they said, well, we're okay. Ain't we? We've always been okay. And Jesus revealed, actually, you're, you're, you're in servitude and slavery to things that you hadn't even thought of. And so, this is the sort of the culmination of that argument. And it ends with Jesus trying to evade their stones. The thought of Jesus being stoned is actually quite sobering, isn't it? The Son of God came into the world. So we read in John 1, he came to those who were his own and they did not receive him or recognize him. Absolutely fascinating. But let's focus on what God is at work at through this, through this incident. Abraham then, Abraham saw. Abraham was held to be looking forward to the messianic age who would be brought into being by a word who was in the beginning. Well, what did Jesus just say there? Before Abraham was, I am. I was before Abraham. I am that word that you're looking for. I am bringing in that messianic stage, that messianic age, sorry, that people have been looking forward to. And with that understanding, the author of Hebrews states that people like Abraham were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things that were promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. They only saw them at a distance. Abraham was somebody who had some kind of glimpse of what God was doing, but would never quite inherit it the way that the people around Jesus could, the way that people around us can. And it makes sense, if we have a little bit of a thought about that, when did Abraham have, that's the question, isn't it? When did Abraham have this great vision? Well, there's one suggestion that it could have been when God was making his covenant with Abraham with Genesis 15. But that kind of feels quite, that feels quite intense, actually. It doesn't really feel like rejoiced. If you read that passage through, Abraham falls into a deep sleep. He has a picture of God making a covenant with him. It's quite a somber and dark, it almost feels quite dark if you read that passage. That's Genesis 15, 17 onward. 
Whereas there's this moment, isn't there, that we know about in Genesis 22, that maybe Abraham had his glimpse of God's plan on his way to Mount Moriah, because that's where he was asked to sacrifice Isaac. And on the way to the sacrifice, he answers Isaac, because Isaac can't see a sacrifice. Abraham says, God himself will provide a sacrifice. Now, if for those who don't know, and that includes me sometimes, Mount Moriah is the mountain upon which both the city of Jerusalem and the temple were built hundreds of years later. And the area known as Golgotha, the little rise of a hill, is slightly further north of the city and overlooks it. It just seems that it's the sort of thing that God would do to give Abraham a picture of what he would do on that exact same spot, in that same space, years and years later, to achieve the sacrifice that he wanted, that he needed to draw people back. So Abraham shows us that, that God, even from afar, people were looking forward to see people being saved. I wonder who you are looking to see saved. I wonder who you would really like to see walk into the kingdom, to to be blessed and forgiven and and walk not in darkness but in light. I wonder if you've made it your gentle campaign to pray for somebody this year, to have that kind of vision maybe to see the excitement that Abraham had when he saw people being redeemed. I wonder, it's an interesting thing, what shall I do this afternoon? Shall I think about praying for people who I've not yet seen saved and part of that part of that salvation encompasses a little bit of today in that with as much reverence as I can I think um, you know this is this is the season of epiphany and we have got this sense of magi coming uh, from far away to the same place to see this baby, this infant that would be born. And of course, the Magi were, were not Jewish. Uh, they were Gentile. And they were not local. They were from far away. But they saw his star and traveled to worship him. And the thing that we read in the prophets is that um, it would, uh, God says to his servant, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. It's too small a thing for that. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation will reach to the ends of the earth. Well, this is absolutely fantastic, isn't it? Because this tells us that this child who became Christ, grew to be Christ, the Son of God, as man on earth, was going to be relevant and helpful and what everybody needed. I think sometimes Christianity is sort of painted as an exclusive religion, but it's not based on being able to speak a language. Please don't test me on my Greek. It's really bad. Um, And and my Hebrew is not much better. It's not based on being able to speak a language. It's not based on, on an ethnicity. Christ is universally the solution that everybody needs. And the Magi, if you like, are proof positive of that, that people with no knowledge only an inkling of what might be going on, worked out and came to worship Christ. They understood him, or they discovered him, in a way that we couldn't even have imagined. But God was drawing them in, 
drawing them in all the, the time. And I think that's a fascinating thing, isn't it? We, how can we make, how can we be thinking about making Christ relevant to people? This part of the world is fairly homogenous. We're all pretty much the same in lots, of, although we're different individually. Ethnically, we're not very diverse. We, you know, there's not a great deal of diversity in this part of the world. So how do we encompass uh, people who are perhaps not like us, and how do we make it relevant to people who thought they were like us but haven't yet made that walk in step into the kingdom? What are the things that might be getting in the way? So I think those are, that's another interesting question, isn't it? The relevance of Jesus Christ. Abraham saw that God was planning something. The Magi tell us that this, in line with the promise to Abraham, I will bless all nations through you, People see that it's, it's a much bigger picture uh, than people imagine, than they could imagine. I mean, there are only hints in the Gospels of, of Jesus interacting with Gentiles, but the pattern that we see through the book of Acts is the spread of this kingdom, the spread of this gospel, crossing all sorts of boundaries. And yet, the bulk of this text is an argument. <laughs> The bulk of this text is a rejection, isn't it? We've had two great positives. We've had from far off, God was going to keep his promises, and those promises were for everyone, and yet the very people to who the promises came were uh, not into it, not up for it at all. They were rejecting it. They treated him to insults and death threats. That's, what is it that's going on when that happens? Why is it that they were so prepared to fight him on these things? They rejected everything about what he stood for and said. When the likeliest reason, of course, is that Jesus declares Abraham seeing his day is the declaration of himself as the Messiah. Jesus, Abraham saw my day, and that's the declaration that he is the one who's come to save them. And of course, he doesn't look like they wanted him to. The day of the Lord... Therefore, that day is Jesus' day. It's the day where he is going to be celebrated. He is going to be commemorated. He is going to be called forth and brought into the light. And yet they kind of don't want to know. They, they, they reject in lots of different ways. And they use some fairly strong terms that help us understand a little bit about what they're like. It isn't clear... I mean, first of all, Samaritan. If you looked at um, verse 48, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan? Well, first of all, they're trying to say, you're not like us. You're not one of us. We're Orthodox Jews, and Samaritans are not Orthodox people. They're, in fact, they're despised. You're nothing like us. You've got nothing to do with us. Ethnically, you're so different. So basically, they're saying Jesus is nothing like us. That's the opposite of what we want to be saying, isn't it? Jesus understands what it is to be like you. The end of this passage talks about Jesus having to run in fear for his life. Well, that's a theme for a lot of people, isn't it? Jesus understands what it is to be like you. And yet the Jewish response is, you have got no idea what it's like to be one of us. You're nothing like us at all. By calling him a Samaritan, they reject him. So there's an interesting thing, isn't there? That straight away, they're judging him by their standards. And they're saying, well, 
you're not like one, you're not one of us. How could you have anything to do with this? You don't know about us. But then they take that next enormous leap and say, and demon possessed. I don't think the two are linked. I think they're just throwing everything they've got at him. You're not from God at all. Which is patently the opposite of what Jesus is presenting, isn't it? They accusing him with siding with the devil. Jesus' only reply is, I'm only doing what the Father calls me to. And I'm the fulfillment of what he promised you I would do. So we have this interesting sit situation, don't we, that really sticks that sort of statement which people find really difficult to wrestle with. And the clincher, if you like, just in case, just Jesus is revealing more of who he is, is before Abraham was, I am. Well, that's one of his ego amy um, statements. That's Greek for I am. And it's the name that God told Moses to call him. By saying I am, Jesus is declaring that he is God on earth. God, we would say, God incarnate, or in some traditions, enfleshed, you know, the body made, you know, flesh on earth. And, and that's the word made flesh. And that's really interesting, because if he had wanted to be, say he'd been around before Abraham, he could have just said, I was around before Abraham. Before Abraham was, I was. But by saying I am, Jesus is making a definitive statement that he is God. He doesn't give them any wriggle room. He doesn't, he, speak, he doesn't give them any opportunity to interpret it any other way. And that's one of the hardest things about mission, isn't it? Because Jesus makes exclusive claims for everybody. <laughs> he makes an exclusive claim about himself that is helpful for everybody to understand who he is. And, and I think that's what they found, perhaps what they find really difficult. God, from the beginning was going to call people to him, people from all nations. Uh, but when the people who he expected to or hoped would be on his side were approached, they didn't want to know. And I find that that's the most, um, that's the thing that I'm taking away from this myself. It's like, okay, so how prepared am I to stick my neck out sometimes? How, how easy do we find it to talk about that? How, what is it like to be confronted with the person of Jesus Christ? Do we find that easy or do we find that really challenging? It should be challenging, but it should be born out of that compassion and gentleness and goodness that we talked about before Christmas. The grace and truth, the loving kindness and goodness of God. And yet I think sometimes we can react and perhaps people around us can react in the same sort of way that I do when somebody points out my brake light isn't working. Do you do that? You follow it. It happened to me once. We were following. Somebody was following us. We were all going to probably a pub lunch, and we were all somebody behind me got out of the car and just said, "Your brake light's not working." Now, in a previous career, I stopped lots of people for brake lights not working, and and the response that I like to hear when I tell people that their brake light wasn't working was, "Oh dear, officer." I'm really sorry, I'll get it fixed as soon as possible. Maybe I've got a spare in the boot, I'll do so now. How many of us would respond like that? Worrying, lack of hands. <laughs> I think the reality is, I think the reality is, we sort of get a little bit gnarled, don't we? We get a little bit, how dare they? We take it personally. How can you take that personally? And yet we do. 
And that's a brake light on your car, which isn't even really within your control, unless you change them every time you get in the car. Who wants to do that? And so one of the things that I find quite challenging here is that when we meet the real Jesus Christ, when we confront people with the real Jesus Christ, it's going to cause ripples. It's going to make people realize, it should make us realize what we are like compared to what he is like. And that, is, that what makes it really important to, to emphasize that Christ has come with grace and truth. That what's on offer is life, but life not as you know it. Life beyond the way that you would ordinarily do things. And I think that's the most important thing that we can be thinking about in a year of mission, is to bring the grace and truth that God has been promising to people around us. So there's a few things to think about as I wrap up. We want to pray that like Abraham, we see people coming to the Lord. We see the Lord's work in people's lives, from, sometimes from far off. Sometimes people seem far off, but they're not outside God's reach. Let's keep praying. That we present Christ so that people of all nations and backgrounds and lifestyles are able to meet with him and be saved. The Christ is for all. It's the only hope anybody has got. There's a big challenge, isn't it? And the, the fascinating thing is how much of the Gospels talk about how much of Jesus' understanding of what it is to be like us. This is just one example of Jesus having to do a runner because people had unrealistic expectations of him. But how many stories in the Gospels talk about what it is to not be welcomed, not be understood, not be accepted, not be loved? Fascinating. So dig into those things and then be honest with ourselves as well that we allow God's presence, his grace and loving kindness, and his truth, his word and his goodness, to transform us. We allow that to be a work in progress so that people can see that it's real. Because most of us would um, follow an experiment that we knew was working, wouldn't we? We'd be interested to see how this ends, rather than something that was just theory. So let's pray uh, this year uh, for a, a time of mission to see God's kingdom come, his grace and truth be known, and people saved. Amen.